right now what I'm hearing so far is, hey, I'd just like to make this like a sustainable living. What I'm also hearing is I'm a little bit afraid to break it because if this thing breaks, like so does my income. If you don't try and break it, I don't think it it's ever going to have the opportunity to be anything big. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, yo, welcome back to the pod. Ian, the votes are in and people have been unequivocal. They are ready for an evolution and they are fine with calling this a TMBA pod. <laughs> yeah, I saw that feedback. So <laughs> those of you that didn't listen to the previous episode, Dan just started saying pod out of the middle of nowhere. Maybe it was like the first time that I realized you were saying pod. I said, <laughs> hold on a second. This is some kind of made up word. What's going on here? I thought this was a podcast. Turns out, I guess it's a pod now. And here at the pod, we get a lot of emails from listeners. We can't respond to all of them, but some of them are great questions. And today we're going to highlight one of those. So one of our listeners reached out to us and said, hey, I love what you guys are doing, but you're not really solving my problem. So what we did is we just called that listener up. And that's what today's show is all about. Ian, today's guest wrote to us and said, you know, I'm facing some problems that more early stage entrepreneurs face. And frankly, I'm not so sure. I mean, I think some of these problems are really universal. Totally. If you are a more experienced entrepreneur, I encourage you to stay tuned as well because look, Ian and I don't have all the answers. So if you have answers, help out a listener. It's good karma. So we'll be in the comments after this one. We'd love to hear your advice as well. All right. So let's roll it, boss man. Hello. Oh, hey, it's Jay. How do you pronounce your last name, Jay? Klaus, very German. Jay, where are you, man? Can you just get us up to speed on like, why are we talking to you? What's going on? This is cool. Welcome to the very frigid Columbus, Ohio, Midwestern kid here. First of all, I've been listening to the show for a long time. Reached out to Jane because my first gig out of college was I joined a guy and the two of us built this ticket exchange. We went through an accelerator, we raised a seed round, and we had a very modest exit from that. But he handled a lot of the like business development. I was the product guy, I worked with the engineers, I built the product, I did all the customer service. And so recently I've jumped out on my own and it feels different. You know, at the end of the day, I fall on the sword when everything happens. And I had a lot of questions sort of about mindset and and how you guys approach the earlier stages to building something and some of that isn't always you know addressed on on the podcast let us know what you've been up to then i left a product management role in april i was at a tech startup here in town and i left that to go out on my own and honestly i left and i had these goals of i wanted to be location independent i wanted to have full control over who i worked with what hours i worked when i needed enough money to live right so I had had kind of a one-off conversation with a friend in town who's a lawyer, and I was telling him, this was back in March of 2017, I was telling him that I was considering leaving my job in the next few months to go out on my own, but I didn't really know what that looked like yet. And just kind of offhand, he said, you know, if I was you, 
And knowing your network, I would consider facilitating mastermind groups. And I just didn't even know what that word was. I said, tell me more about that. And so he explained, he said, well, I'm a lawyer and I meet with five other lawyers a couple of times a month and we help each other grow our businesses. There wasn't much barrier to entry to trying that. So I told myself, okay, I'm going to find five people and I'm going to put them into this group and tell them that I'll facilitate these discussions with the goal of them having a better outcome than if they were working on their own. And so I did that. I ran a test group in May and it went well. And so the first paid cohort was 15 people, so three groups. They started in July, or maybe it was the first week of August. And that also went really well. And I'm just starting the second group now. But this is very cyclical income. It's not replacing the income that I had previously at the job. And so I'm looking at this as, how do I manage growth of this? Is it expanding the number of groups that I do? Is it going after a different clientele? Is it changing the product offerings entirely? There's a lot of questions that I have around what are next steps here because initially this was kind of just, let me solve this problem of building a business around my life while also funding and providing time to explore other opportunities. And now I've come to a place where it's like, I really like doing this and I would like to do this in a larger capacity. So (laughs) it's kind of expanding that out. So you've probably got these problems on a daily basis that you're encountering, and then you've got these like more meta problems that span out years or maybe months. What are some of the things that you're most focused in solving in your business right now? Like, What are some of the problems, like you sat down in front of your desk today, and you thought, wow, this is a big problem for myself or for my customers? Well, there's two ways we could go here, and, and you're right. Some of it's kind of meta. The first being, back in October, I knew it wasn't going to make sense to start new groups over like the Thanksgiving holiday. So I had Thanksgiving and Christmas and kind of New Year's to weather before starting someone else, which meant that I suddenly had like a three month cash flow gap, right? And so I picked up some freelancing, I did some WordPress development, and I still have some of those clients. And now it's kind of nice having those because that type of work is actually paying my bills pretty steadily, but it's not building a business kind of the way that I want to and doing things my own way, you know, it's, it's client work. And the question is, how do I balance the time of my own creation with sort of the opportunity cost of not doing client work? Would it have been possible to pre-sell January back in October? I think it would have been possible. I just was afraid of it, I guess, because I operate off of an email list. That's not a large email list. I had a hard time rationalizing the idea that they would fill up. I don't know. I think I was just scared. (laughs) So short answer, maybe, and maybe that's the way to do it. I have a wait list. And I think that probably is a good route to go to create more of a fleshed out calendar. Here are the start times of different groups and you can pre-enroll or pre-commit to those spots early. That would probably help with the cash flow side of things. On the topic of like, I have these clients, they pay me fairly well. And then I have this other product and I'd prefer to spend all my energy working on my product. I think that that's a position that probably a lot of people listening to the show are in. And a lot of people make different decisions there. And obviously you're going to make your own. I think a lot of the reason why people continue to do client work is they don't trust themselves to be able to provide an income from their product in a timely manner. And some of that's just because it's not ready. Like You don't have the list yet, right? You haven't developed the product yet. A lot of these things aren't flushed out. And I think that that makes sense, right? It it takes a long time to like get a product off the ground and humming at a point where 
it has predictable revenue. So a lot of people, I think maybe they jump off too fast. And so I guess one question I would ask yourself is like, what innovations, what work needs to be done to make that product mature enough so that it is a constant flow of income? I think a lot of it comes around messaging. Talking with you guys, I'm calling it a mastermind product, but that's not really in the external messaging that I do because people that are kind of in my network, in my sphere, on my list, that's a new sort of concept to them. And so to me, is it better to introduce them to the concept of what a mastermind is, or is it better to introduce them to my version of the mastermind, which is a little bit different. It feels more like a hybrid accelerator since it's a set period of time. And I'm on every one of the calls kind of helping them product manage their own, you know, path through that. We do a goal setting up front and I help them lay out a roadmap so they can get to this intended outcome after 12 weeks. So yeah, I think part of it for me to mature it is it'd be great to have a bigger list, but I think a lot of it is nailing the messaging so that people who haven't come across this concept before understand the value proposition in it. You brought up something else, I think, which is interesting, this idea of like going lean. So in your mind, like what does going lean mean? Does it mean not having a car? Does it mean taking public transportation? Like what kind of sacrifices do you think you would have to make if you went lean? I think I'm actually in a pretty privileged position here, relatively speaking. I don't have any debt. My car is paid off. I live in a pretty low rent studio here in Ohio. To me, going lean is really cutting back on things like eating out. I'm a horrible cook, so I I don't do a lot of cooking at home. (laughs) I, I really need to learn how to do that. But I look at that too, and I say, this is a time commitment. Doing food prep and either learning to cook or doing cooking and cleaning up everything like that is taking away from time. But to like really save money, it's really kind of hunkering down and staying in this studio and not going out for coffee meetings or at least figuring out different ways to do meetings without buying coffee, not eating out. Those are possible things, but you know, it changes my lifestyle a little bit. And again, I think it would take a little bit extra time from me. Those would be minimum level sacrifices, I would say. Most people make way more than that. Right. So that's a start. When I think back to Ian and I, one of the fortunate falls, in some ways we were in like a worse position than you are now. And one of the things that that led to in us is that nobody was willing to pay us to do anything. So we couldn't sell our time in that way. In the same way that like in your mind, there was this wall between you selling your product in October, which is manufactured by you, I suppose. There's not like any rule that says you can't do that. We had this wall that we felt like we couldn't sell our time to anybody because I was just an idiot. Nothing that I did was really that valuable. So I always had to figure out like some sort of third party thing that I could sell. Yeah, I think because I can like go and sell someone on a WordPress project and do that pretty easily and end up paying the bills for a month, it gets really easy for me to self-rationalize doing that because it's safer and I can still you know, find time to build what I'm doing outside of that. Whereas if my back was more against the wall, I'd probably be a little bit more aggressive, right? You know, another question I have, and what I'm finding is I'm selling this concept to a certain group of people, a certain persona. There are a lot of people on my list where it's just not accessible to them. They want to participate, but they don't want to go there. So I have the question of, do I continue to polish and sort of systematize what exists and serve that audience, maybe not increasing capacity because maybe the demand isn't there, or do I go over here and create a sort of downstream product offering that's more accessible and may have, you know, higher capacity. 
that makes sense. It does, but it seems like premature optimization because what you need to do is pay your rent with your product, right? Mm-hmm. I like the focus on mindset here because it feels to me like if a business isn't to six figures, it's mostly about like sorting through the mindset and about how you're spending your time. You know, if you're spending the majority of your creative time paying the rent through freelancing right now, that feels like that's a question that needs to be sorted through one way or another. So one way you can do that is how many customers do you need in your current product in order to cover that fundamental living expenses equation? What kind of growth do you need to see? So far, like our sessions have been 15 person groups. It's three groups of five. And how much are you charging them for that? There's a couple different tiers. If it's just the base level, putting it into a group and having the facilitated calls, it's $700. If they want one-on-one time with me outside of that, it's 1000 And how many people chose the one-on-one time option? About a third of them do that. A third to a half of people do that. So you're charging basically like $100 a month for personal consulting? Yeah. And how much of the delivery time does that personal consulting take? It's about an hour every two weeks for each client. So right now your revenue is like $12,000 a quarter. Right. What do you need to cover in order to pay for your lifestyle? My budget right now is $2,500 a month. And I could lean down to sub 2000 if I had to. You've already covered your nut with your product. Yes. I think I need to put more pressure on myself probably because if I was, these are the hard deadlines of this is when the next group is starting and I had the system in place to know when to kick into, okay, now we're going back into sales and marketing. And I filled that at the same level. I think it's there. My fear of not filling that comes from if the people coming through are coming from my email list, which isn't huge. At what point do I saturate that email list and the people who would be interested in this product at this price point? Right. So you're worried that you're going to run into a brick wall, essentially. Today's show is sponsored by Empire Flippers. They're the leading specialist in helping entrepreneurs buy, sell, and invest in online businesses. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Empire Flippers integrated, dedicated teams make sure that you're supported at every stage in the process. And they have a huge audience and great contacts in the industry. So for sellers, you're going to secure a higher price than if you were to sell privately. And if you're a buyer, they're going to save you a ton of time and money by carefully vetting all the businesses on their marketplace. So whether you're looking to buy or sell anything from $20,000 up to seven figures, check out empireflippers.com slash TMBA. And if you go there, you can save yourself 300 bucks. That's because today for TMBA listeners, the Empire Flippers have offered a free business valuation, which normally costs $300. So if you're looking to acquire a business, new offerings are posted every Monday morning. So that's empireflippers.com slash TMBA. And a huge thanks to the team over at Empire Flippers for supporting the TMBA podcast. So Jay, it sounds to me like we kind of ran the math here. I think that you're probably able to cover your lifestyle costs, but it could just be, like you said, a matter of cash flow, right? Because there's like holidays and there's start and finish dates. And, you know, we need to figure out a way to like kind of bridge those gaps in terms of the cash flow. This is kind of minimum viable though. I think like you should be pretty impressed with yourself. Like you figured out a way to hobble together an income and lead a modest but somewhat comfortable lifestyle. Number one, that's pretty cool, right? You figured out a way to do that. It's pretty cool. You got it off the ground. Yeah. You know, again, I think 
what Dan was saying is true, which is, you know, somewhere generally before a million dollars in revenue, most of the things that hold us back are like our mental mindsets. And so one of the things that I haven't heard from you yet is what's your dream? You know, where does this go? You know, kind of the place that I want to play is I really like that now, instead of focusing all my time on like building one tech product for one company in one industry, I get to work with early stage entrepreneurs and even some artists across lots of projects that I'm pretty interested in. And I can become sort of personally invested in them in in terms of like emotionally and help them and connect them and see those things, you know, through to fruition, help people do things that I'm doing right now, right? I am proud of the fact that, you know, we are seven or eight months post me leaving the job and I'm sustaining myself and I want to help more people do that because I've done a couple different things now and it's so much more enjoyable to me to be making half or less of the money that I was making at the corporate job, but be in total control over my time and where I am and who I'm spending time with and who I'm working with. People who are inclined to go down that path, I want to help them do that. So now... You know, as we expand the problem scope, then it gets harder to solve the problem because, like, if that's the problem scope, you've more or less solved it. There's sort of a business scope, you know, and then there's a lifestyle element as well. True. I am not in any place where, like, I'm saving any money right now. At some point, I've got to have more of an income so I can be either saving for some eventual time or even saving for, you know, calamities that could happen now. So, I mean, one truism might be if you want the business to give so much to you something has to give a lot to the business there has to be this energy input and so a lot of times like i see especially like in our community i don't know you that well so i don't want to say this about you i just want to say it generally is people prematurely optimize for lifestyle or other considerations there's just a lot of things on the table that they want to do with their lives and that's freaking awesome but growing a business is like one big fat giant thing because of the internet and like the availability of all this information, so many of us underestimate what it takes to do that. And I think Ian and I are having to take that salty pill again now because we're looking at starting new businesses and we're just like, oh man, it's so much energy that you have to put into something to get it started. So I was kind of thinking about this the other day. So the way that Dan and I got started was we were manufacturing and marketing valet parking equipment to valet parking providers. These are basic key boxes and lock boxes, things like that. And, you know, our motivation back then was like, we didn't want to have a job anymore. We wanted to do a lot of things that you're talking about, which is own our own time and freedom. But one of the things that's, I think, different now than was back then is like all the options didn't exist, like this WordPress work and like freelancing and things like that. And one of the things that we had to consider and the most important thing that we had to consider was what does the market want? What does the market need? Because those are the people that we were getting money from. So you have to do what the market demands if you want the kind of life that you want. Number one for us back in the day was serve our clients, serve our customers. And then whatever comes of that, we can kind of turn that into the lifestyle that we want. Now, at some point, we did a little flip-flop there, right? When we started to make enough money and when we're seeing great results and then we started saying, okay, now what is this business going to do for us? Because it's turning over tons of cash flow. Like, what do I want now? I just remember, and Dan, maybe I'm recounting history incorrectly, but in the beginning, it was a lot about what do our customers want? What does a business need? And less about what do I want? You know, maybe some of the time right now for the next couple of minutes should be spent trying to solve what 
these people's biggest problems are because that's how you're going to get paid the most. And ultimately, that's how you're going to solve these kind of lifestyle issues, these cash flow issues that you have for yourself. So what are some of the things that they're willing to pay you the most for? And why are they going to churn out? Why would they love it so much that they'd pay double the next time around for it? That's a good question. I haven't ever asked for that. The 12-week period was kind of arbitrary. Maybe I could have done a monthly fee. Maybe I should have done that. But the people I tend to work with most are people who are freelancers, either part-time or making the jump to full-time freelancing. People who are trying to create sort of a side business, whether it's an Etsy shop or spinning up a podcast or writing a book, and early-stage entrepreneurs. And that's just because those are sort of the circles that I've traveled in myself, and that's kind of where the people have found me. It's about helping them navigate some of the earlier steps because we meet every week. We, I think it's probably self-selecting for people who understand that they can get a lot of wins sort of rapidly. Whereas if I was working with somebody who had been in business for 10 years, the problems that they have aren't going to be solved week to week. They may need to spend a month or two focusing on some of those changes. You know, it's not surprising to me that we're here having this conversation. And, you know, there's a lot of open questions here about like, when are they going to churn out? Why are they going to churn out? What are they willing to pay? I haven't asked them to pay up. I think there's sort of like a, a galvanizing moment in a lot of successful businesses. And I think this is why like a lot of people that run businesses can be like crazy or screwed up or weird or something is that there comes a moment when it's like sort of pedal to the metal. And that it's really worth finding out the answer to these questions and that they're never going to come from a third party. Like it's never going to come from Dan and Ian. It's never going to come from that dude you talk to in your mastermind. Like if anything is going to matter at all, it's like you're going to sit down at your desk and like sort of step off the ledge and like go ask for the money and go figure out when they're going to churn out and like go figure out if they're willing to pay double and ask them if they're willing to refer a friend and see if the next cohort can be twice as bad and see if the $300 upsell can be either not exist so you can have twice as many customers or it can be double the price so it can be a sustainable part of the product. Maybe what you're doing is you're saying, and this is just Eye of the Tiger stuff, you know, like one of the biggest profitable outcomes that can come from this kind of thing is that you could become an owner in one of the businesses you're working with. So, okay, I'm willing to sell it for 300 bucks, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an investment or I'm going to get equity in like X amount of businesses by the end of the year or whatever. That's a tough business model, but. It is a tough business model, but I think, you know, oftentimes in these businesses, the ideas that you have in the beginning aren't what the outcome is in the end. Meaning like the outcome could be completely different. I could see this business, like Dan said, you finding a partner in one of the masterminds, you're really attracted to somebody's business and you think like, well, this is actually my purpose in life. This is what I'm interested in. You partner with them, you shut down the mastermind thing and you live happily ever after. And so, you know, getting back to like, what is your idea of like a big success? What is your idea of a, a big dream? Right now, what I'm hearing so far is like, hey, I'd just like to make this like a sustainable living. What I'm also hearing is like, I'm a little bit afraid to break it because like, if this thing breaks, like, so does my income. And then I have to go back to like serving WordPress clients. But at the same time, if you don't try and break it, I don't think it, it's ever going to have the opportunity to be anything big. You know, The idea that came into my mind when Ian said that was like increasing the velocity of exhausting your options. So like as long as all these things are like potential options on the horizon, it sustains the present, which isn't serving you. So Ian suggesting that somehow you disrupt the present situation, which is really hard to do. I think everything you, you said was true there, Ian. I am a little bit afraid of breaking it because it is you know, my primary means or what I want to be my primary means of income. 
when I say churn, it's not that the people I'm serving churn out because they're making a choice. It's more because I put this kind of arbitrary length of 12 weeks on the program. After that 12 weeks ends, I don't have like a next product or next step. I could encourage them to re-up for the same thing. I just haven't really productized that or put that in place. So when I say churn, I mean, I'm kind of reinventing or creating new customers every few months. But I think you are right. Again, I think a lot of it just comes from fear, honestly, because I don't want to break it because I don't know, you know, what else is possible. When I first put this together, it was very much in the vein of, I don't know what I want to do yet and I'll continue to explore, but to pay my bills while I explore, I'm going to do this thing. And only recently have I said, you know, maybe I should just do this at a higher level and been trying to figure out what that looks like. So it's weird to consider that like a good possibility could be that the whole thing blows up in your face. Like it's such a counterintuitive idea, but I like the idea of mapping out napkin math. I'm such a big fan of like napkin hypotheticals. So it's like, first off, if these people aren't willing to like re-up for this product, the product is a goner. But then, okay, so if it's a goner, what can we do? We could say, well, maybe it's 700 for the first time. And then if they're willing to like re-up, it's like 350 and they become grandfathered into this program. And so you start a sales process towards the end of their third month or whatever. But like, those are the sorts of things that need to be explored, I think, if you're going to stick with this business. Just talk like very vaguely here about like internet marketing businesses for a minute. Like a lot of what Jan's talking about is obviously tricks to uh, increase your lifetime customer value if you don't have a great product. <laughs> so the better approach would be within those 12 months, if you're really listening to the, what their problems are, you'll be able to continue to solve their problem 12 months out. So one of the issues I think that you have right now with your customers is that you're like also growing with your customers. And you might just lack a little bit of confidence to be able to solve those problems like post where Jay's at. And I think that this comes up like a lot in like the coaching space is like people feel like if they're not as successful as the businesses, they can't provide any value to these businesses. But a lot of times what they don't need is someone who's been there before, but what they need is for maybe someone to ask them the right questions, to connect them with the right people. I could be talking about a million businesses too, not necessarily your business, but I've seen this happen many times. Right. The feedback is really good because you know a lot of it is peer mentorship. It's not just me coaching them. It's me showing, hey, here are four other people who are kind of in the saddle right there with you on their own projects. And you can understand the battles they're fighting, how they're fighting those battles. You can implement the things that they're doing. You know, that's, that's the kind of mastermind benefits that are a part of that. What I want to do, kind of my secret motivation <laughs> behind this is I want to show people that A, their capacity is higher than they think. B, I want to show them that when you have a knowledge and skills gap yourself, you can leverage the experience and minds of other people to help solve those problems. And, you know, through that 12 weeks, they kind of develop the muscle memory to see that. My thought initially was after that, that, okay, now they'll go and kind of understand that, understand they can put in their own timelines and plans and execute on them and leverage other people. But yeah, I like the idea. Well, if your product creates non-customers, <laughs> right? entrepreneurship has sort of like become this catch-all phrase that sort of encapsulates everything. But I think what we're trying to talk about on this show is like there's a knowledge set and a skill set to building organizations and building processes that deliver value. And that has, at the end of the day, it ought to eventually have very little to do with you. But it's getting serious about that too. Because if you like all the other stuff, then it might not be that important to grow an organization. 
because that's a whole other pain in the ass, you know? And the reality is, is that you don't have to at all. And there's, you've demonstrated that. You could just up your rates and like make quarter million bucks a year helping people to unlock these realizations. There's people that do that. Right. What's an interesting question? I'm stuck there a little bit because the people that I'm working with, if I raise my rates, it becomes kind of prohibitive to the people that I'm serving now. It would be a different market, a different segment of the market. It'd be a little bit more upstream. It'd be people with slightly different problems. And that's not quite the audience that I'm serving. One of the things I must mention that's even hard for me to internalize after having seen it so many times is that the kind of feedback you get from putting an offer in front of somebody is so different from all other types of feedback. I remember there's like old school marketers who would always say like, have like this ridiculous offer on every offer that you make just to see if you can like capture somebody at the platinum level. So say you wanted to like back out personal one-on-one coaching next time, or just add a little bonus, you'd have it be two or three times or four times the price. And you might be surprised like what happens in that case. It's just so different when people are voting with their credit cards, as opposed to giving opinions or commenting on social media or talking to you on the phone like this. It's a matter of the velocity of exhausting your options. So like how many offers are you putting in front of these people and no assumptions until offer. I refuse to accept that you know anything about them until you make the offer because they're separate things, right? Like on the one hand, you're talking about people's ideas and their opinions and the conversations they're having. On the other hand, you're talking about business and commerce and the exchange of value. They're different, completely separate conversations. And yeah, you might be able to find like this magical crossover where you develop your offers and you find the sort of wisdom on the offer side that you're finding on the interpersonal and facilitation side. If you're going to make it sustainable, you got to get more sophisticated with the offers. I think that makes a lot of sense. One of the difficulties that you're going to find yourself in that Ian and I were lucky enough to avoid in our first business is that you get to choose these things for yourself and that they're infinitely flexible. When we had $40,000 in a container arriving in Los Angeles in 16 days, we had zero flexibility because we owed everybody $40,000. And this is a I think a very real problem when it comes to internet businesses, consulting, information, facilitation, all this stuff. The implication is, is there a way that you could create it for yourself? And your product might be the first step, right? Taylor Pearson is a friend of ours who has a product that makes it such that you sort of lock yourself into deadlines. And is there a way that you could create deadlines for yourself that really have grit, a lot of the things that you have to do to start a business really kind of suck. They're really sort of emotionally painful at the beginning. So that's a challenge to you is like, could you create accountability for yourself in a way that's very, very real? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm getting the sense, Jay, that you've had absolutely zero breakthroughs on this call because Ian and I don't know anything that you don't already know. (laughs) (laughs) You've been through this before. You're a really smart guy. I mean, and what you're trying to do is really hard. It really helps to get the outside perspective and poking some the holes and asking the questions of, have you tried this? Oh, I haven't you tried that? And, you know, I'm, I'm clicking around, oh, well, why haven't I tried different levels of offers? Why am I doing any of this <laughs> client work at all? Here's another question I had, though. Did you guys reach a point where it did get easier? Ian, you were talking about there was a point where you guys could look and see the, the business is throwing off this cash. How did you know that you were at that point? What did it feel like? So it never got easy. I mean, there was always more money, more problems, right? And you're hiring people and people are quitting and things like that. But certain personal milestones and goals were met, certain business milestones were met. 
I just want to say this, though, about the business, and this is something that I was trying to voice before. I'm not sure if I did a good job of it. In the beginning, when there wasn't a lot of free cash flow, it was always about the business first. It wasn't half as much about what I wanted personally as it was, what do my customers want? What does the business need? Because I knew fundamentally inside that if I could meet those needs and demands, there would be a surplus of cash and then I would be able to benefit from that personally and my life would get better. It just seems to me, and not necessarily in your business, but in a lot of people's businesses, they're online, they're looking at all these great lives that everybody's living on Instagram and they're thinking like, how can I do that for myself? How can I achieve that kind of success? How can I be drinking that on on that beach or taking that flight, you know? And, and these businesses, these internet businesses are like a great way to do that. I mean, you don't have to be in an office, you can travel around or whatever. You can, seems like you can live these lifestyles by running these businesses, but the people that are have sustainable wealth and that do it for the long term are always focused on what their customers need first. Bringing that back to the question, which is like, at what point did it get easy? Well, it got easier once I started understanding the problems of my customers. It sounds like you're also asking, like, does it ever feel like you're coming up for air? Yeah. I want to feel like the intrinsic, like, oh, this is going to be okay tomorrow. We were always like kind of moving the goalpost, you know? So it's like, okay, the goal now is a million dollars in revenue. Okay, the goal now is $3 million in revenue. And I think part of that is probably just like some of my personality, you know? Dan was probably on the other side of that, which is like, well, why more? He was asking more of these questions. I was just kind of the guy that like put my head down and just with a helmet on, of course, and just kind of like charged through the football team. The pressure that you're feeling now, I think, is self-imposed, which is great. These are all things that we make up like, oh, I need this amount of money to survive. You know, we're fortunate enough not to actually be in poverty. When I think you'll start feeling less pressure is when, obviously, when the money starts flowing a little bit more freely. And I think, again, that's going to happen once you start solving more important problems for your customers. The other way you could say is when you have six figures in the bank and your business is throwing off cash flow with a general manager. That's a very curt answer to the question, but that's like a real level you know, like past like credit cards and like I was in credit card debt and then I was in debt. And then like Ian sent me 20 grand one day and it was like, okay, well, I can get by until I get another job or whatever. And then there's that sort of level where you have six figures and you have the business humming along. I think that takes years. And then if you keep cracking, what ends up happening is that the people who are focused on it, they end up becoming wealthy, you know, in like decade-ish timeframes. That's just what I see. And that's really hard. It's like not everybody gets out alive, man. Part of what makes me feel safe is like all the people I've met from growing a business and like the genuine friends that I have and the people that I can call and say like, hey, can I get some help? Can we work together? Ian now has like a garage that's big enough for me to live in. (laughs) And I could just... (laughs) When it goes down, I mean... Part of it's money, but part of it's identity too, is you see yourself as an entrepreneur, as somebody who can go out and drag it home and that you don't need to rely on... uh, a career or job to do that. Another thing that I'd say that seems to be true throughout the years is that there's no like quick instant success still. It's always still like working at it for three years. Now the internet makes that like a lot easier and like the internet makes it so you can earn a lot more money than you could like at a traditional storefront or something like that. But the internet would love you to believe that it only takes a couple months for this stuff to happen. But yeah, it's still three years. So, And let's be clear, it's three years of full-time effort building and breaking. So 40 plus hours. Just reading Jason Cohen's article today. Again, you can have two big things. Are you married? You have kids? Nope, neither. You're in good shape because this stuff gets so much harder as you get older. You got more family considerations. Things pop up in life, you know? 
there's so many things that people used to tell me that I looked up to, like people in the next generation that I just thought were a horrible piece of advice. Like, you know, people would say like, getting rich ain't going to make you happy. I'd be like, yeah, that's such bullshit. And then the other thing is that like, you know, you're young now, you can do this and that. I'd be like, yeah, that's bullshit. But I think there's like a lot of wisdom in that kind of advice that you hear from older people is that if you really believe in entrepreneurship, three years, 40 plus hours a week, it's an enormous investment. Less than people that go to college make, but it's a huge investment. Where else are you going to find that in your life but right now? So that to me is an argument to take the risk on the freelancing because you can do freelancing three years from now. You can get a job three years from now. You can do a lot of things three years from now. But one thing you can't do is like fully focus, particularly if you have a family or anything pops up, a health thing or anything will take you away from this. So it's a true luxury to be able to go and take the risks, the quote risks that we're talking about taking, you know. One of the things that older people used to tell me was the focus thing. That was like the number one thing that I avoided. <laughs> there was like a bunch of businesses going on and like, you know, all this lifestyle stuff. And it's like, oh, dude, you just need to like focus on one thing. I was like, yeah, right. I got all these. I'm diversified, man. <laughs> I got all these income streams. But the reality was back in the day and is that I wasn't really doing any one thing super well because I was so, quote, diversified in my energy. I definitely relate to feeling that right now. <laughs> So, Jay, you've been a big fan of the show, and here we are, man, in person. Must be disappointed. <laughs> no, man, this was great. This is super helpful. It's a really good nudge for me to, you know, stop hedging. I'm hedging a lot, and I need to be focusing more and trying different things to answer questions that I have. Like, I have questions, and I should be spending more time answering those questions so I can figure out the full steam ahead answer that's going to work out for me. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been great talking with you guys. I appreciate it. I had a blast. Jay, thanks for reaching out to us. Let's follow up in a few months to see how it's going. Totally. Thanks again, Jeff. Hey, big thanks to Jay for coming on the show and reaching out for help. A good lesson, actually. That's the lesson, the meta lesson of the show is that there's a lot of people that are willing to help you in your life right now that you're probably not reaching out to and not tapping into. For free. Absolutely. People love to help each other. You just got to give them the opportunity. You got to let them know. Right. You got to let them know. <laughs> Ian, how did you feel about talking with Jay and giving advice in that way? Advice is everywhere. Like you said, there's a lot of people that are probably willing to offer it for free. Maybe that's not the right kind of advice that you want. But Here's what I find most valuable in situations like this, like trying to get down to the truth and whatever the truth is. So the truth for me, the truth for Jay, the truth for you, and trying to be like really honest about what kind of situation you're in and the things that you want to accomplish. I think a lot of times when I talk to people, and, and Jay is not one of these people, but a lot of times when I talk to people about the things that they want to accomplish and the things that they're willing to give up and the things that they're actually doing right now, People aren't able to be honest with themselves 100% for whatever reasons. So for me, a lot of times it's just trying to be as honest as possible and, and figure out what's realistic. You know, for me, I didn't feel the greatest after the call. I felt like we spoke with Jay almost like friends. If we were just having lunch, that was the conversation we might have had. Whereas I don't know if we were being actionable. I had like sort of second-guessed myself after the call because there's certain things you can say to people like if you're really expert at guiding people you can like say the things they need to hear you know yeah 
and I don't think that we approached this situation that way. I think we just spoke with Jay as if he's a friend of ours, go grab some lunch together. And so I don't know. I don't know how useful it's going to be for Jay. We'll see. (laughs) Well, I think that that's why it makes it really complicated in these situations, like giving advice, because you can give advice as the guys that have the podcast that want to make a show out of this. You can give advice as the investor. You can give advice as Jay's mom. You can give advice as the guy who wants to eventually sell something to Jay. Exactly. Or that has a vested interest. It's interesting. It's very, very interesting. It can come from all different angles. And I think, again, like most important is what does Jay want to accomplish? And so if he can get in touch with that, I think his business is going to be successful or be a failure depending on what he wants to accomplish. So if you've got a great question and you want to hear some advice from us, don't hesitate to reach out to the producer of the show, Jane at tropicalmba.com. And who knows, maybe we'll make an episode out of that. Why not? One final thing, if you want to sponsor the TMBA podcast in 2018, we want to hear from you. What's the best email address there, Ian? Just email you directly? Yeah, they can email me directly or there's a little form that they can fill out over at the Tropical MBA site. And I am at ian at tropicalmba.com. This one's going to be posted at tropicalmba.com slash consulting corner one. And we will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.